We are here with Delvon from the Views from the Arch podcast. Delvon, how are you, man? You know, I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys? Not too bad. Good. Can't complain, really. Just trying to acclimate to this new, slowly coming out of COVID. What's new in your world? Uh, you know, coming out of COVID, uh, state's definitely reopening back up. Mm-hmm. So that's always a, uh, a plus. And other than that, nothing much, man. Found my way back into the podcasting world after a pretty wild summer. But, you know, other than that, life is as usual. It's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while since we uh, since we collaborated last time. So we had uh, Delvon on for the episode where we interviewed him and another uh, police officer. At the time, we were discussing um, the the Floyd trial, or not the trial yet. I think it was just uh, the just incident. The incident itself, yeah, yeah. Wow. Talking about that, talking about a couple other shootings and stuff at the time. And then, yeah, so if you haven't already, check out that episode. I think that was one of our best episodes so far. It was really great having you on, getting your perspective. And yeah, I mean, how have, how have things been for you so far, you know, since then, as far as everything that's been going on with various different policing incidents going on around the country and, you know, various of them getting plenty of news coverage, right? You know, it's um, it, it has its own challenges, And it's kind of hard to navigate through because it seems like every time, you know, we end up trying to do something to make the situation better or try to make the situation um, more conducive for everybody, you know, like with police reform or police change, it's like another black guy, you know, it's like right. So like right after George Floyd's trial where, you know, people got their conviction, they got all the charges they wanted you know, well, they were about to, and some police officer lady misuses her or confuses, I guess, her somehow her gun for her taser and shoots and kills somebody. And it's like, Mm -hmm. oh my God. (laughs) It's like, we just can't have one day. Right. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's crazy. Well, and that was one of the the main framing points of the Micaiah Bryant shooting too, right? You know, just talking about how it happened shortly after the, the verdict was out and everything. And yeah, so so having these happen back to back, I'm sure it's been stressful to say the least. The Mikaira Bryant thing's actually been pretty interesting having those debates with people. Now, speaking of those debates, what's what's the perspective of the family life? Where you're, you know, you're the cop, you're, you know, you're the officer, and you come home and you now have to almost stand trial for almost every uh, situation that comes on the news, whether it be your direct family or your extended family. What's that interaction like? You know, actually, with with my with my immediate family, you know, my my mom's pretty on the left. We discuss things. You know, I, I find that with a lot of my family, they're actually they're they're pretty reasonable. Um, you know, I have some family who, you know, don't like the fact I'm a police officer, but that part of my family is criminals. <laughs> so <laughs> I know they're criminals. I grew up with them, and they were doing really criminal things like robbing people. So I understand why they might not like them. I'm a police officer, which you know is fine. But for the rest of my family, they're they're you know they're they're pretty moderate. They uh, you know, they call the balls and strikes. No, they'll be like, hey man, that was pretty messed up. What happened? And you know, such and such. Or they'll be like, hey, you know, I can understand you know how that happened. As far as you know, by singing other, I don't. You know, when I choose to date, I actually some even. You know, what's funny is even when I date and I date like anti like because I, I you know I, you know you date like I found a lot of police officers even when you date like anti police like women or men mm-hmm. like when when you date them they like 
lose a lot of that. So it's actually kind of funny, but a lot of like intimate relationships uh, or the few that I, I've, I've had don't really talk about it. Actually, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't really come up, but either whether it's, whether it's steered away from, or, you know, we just choose not to discuss it, but you know, I think it's just somebody's don't discuss. What do you think of the topic itself then? So like, do you not encourage it? Cause it's, it's a hot button topic. No, and, sure. and you can learn a lot about a per- like I hate movie dates because you learn shit. All you learn is that they can match the fourth grade. You can sit and be quiet for two hours, like a conversation date or like being able to talk about complex things shows like the, the dynamics of your mind and who you are. So do you ever, like I guess, not enjoy the subject, but play into it almost and kind of see whoever that who bites. Part- <laughs> but yeah, and see what, and learn from that. Uh, you know. I <laughs> sometimes like so sometimes when I'm at work, I will it's it's just funny for me. I will like uh dangle some bait with like the college kids, or you know, even if like I do have a significant other, you know, we won't get too heavy into it, but we will get slightly into it, right? Like I find that most people just want my opinion. Yeah. Like they're like they're like, well, why? You know, like there's a lot of people with the with the Bryant shooting, they're like, well, why? Like, like, why would he shoot her? And I kind of like broke a lot of stuff down for a lot of people. And they're like, I can understand that then. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, like there's, you know, like I had a pretty close friend of mine who was really upset about it. And I ended up breaking down the situation uh, for her. And, you know, I was like, look, you know, at the end of the day, we can all wish that something else would have happened. But we can also accept the fact that something happened because of like either someone directly contributed to that or because it just needed to happen. So, you know, I, I ended up breaking down that for a lot of people and a lot of people actually understood a lot of it and a lot of that anger subsided. So I, I encourage the conversation, you know, about policing, but I think that the key is that people need to understand that when you have this conversation, you have to really take a step back and you have to really look at who am I talking to, right? Like, you're not going to convince a cop that cops don't need to exist. Like you, you can't, <laughs> That's it's just, it's not a fight you're going to be able to win. And at the same time, you, you can't convince a police officer that all police officers are racist. Right. So I always tell people when you enter these conversations, you have to understand who am I talking to and what do I want to gain out of it? And then attempt to actually learn something like, you know, to try to learn why that person thinks the way they do, uh, what 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 facts do they have? Police officers actually have a lot of facts about violence, use of force, um, the science behind it, because we have to know those things or else our job, we can't do our job effectively. So, you know, that that's kind of where I stand with the conversation. Yeah, I like that point. That's a really good point. I, I think that kind of, you know, that applies to everything, not just policing. But I think that's something that a lot of people lack is the ability to realize who who they're talking to, right? Because it's the same with every any issue. Pick an issue, no matter what. If you have someone that firmly believes something and you have someone else that firmly believes something else, you can talk about it. And that's not to say that you won't change anyone's mind, right? But oftentimes you're not going to completely convince someone of your perspective. You may well, shift them a little bit, right? But... But your goal is not even to to sway them. Like when you when I mean, even with this podcast, like we don't come on here with our independent views to change them. Yeah. Just to state and acknowledge one's perspective on a topic that 
on hundreds of topics. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you gotta, you gotta understand the intent behind it. Yeah. Well, it's, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the Socratic method, but yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's preferred. basically that, it's you know, preferred. yeah, it, it's basically, <laughs> so, I mean, basically the Socratic method. So for those listening that don't know what I'm talking about, it's a, it's a form of conversation. It's a form of debate that you're arguing, you're debating. One person has a different stance than you, but it's more based on asking questions, you know, answering questions and then figuring out the other person's perspective, then bringing your perspective and being able to fine tune your own perspective because of that. And it honestly, if, if both people come to the discussion honestly and openly, you know, you can come away from it with a lot more. So I'm glad to see anyway, that long ramble is all to say, I'm glad to see that you're encouraging that with, with policing, right? Because it's one of those touchy topics that a lot of people are very, very dead set in their, I don't want to say extreme position, but you know, strong position of one way or the other. Right. Yeah. Do you find you have success with it? Have you had, you know, good conversations with people about it? Or do you find that more often people are, I don't know, unwilling to approach it that way? You know, I find that it's really hit and miss. I find that people with pain and trauma are, are a lot more difficult to deal with. So when, when somebody has been impacted negatively by law enforcement, or they've had somebody in their family who's been imprisoned uh, for an extended period of time, or I have random people who have had family members who have been shot by police, those conversations typically don't uh, go very well. It's very hard to navigate because you want to navigate sympathetically, but you also don't want to, you know, be wishy-washy in your opinion. And I'm not one to do that. I kind of say what I say. And I, then I kind of ask people to just kind of grapple with it. Like either we can discuss it or we can move on. And that's, that's just kind of the way I am. Um, I try not to be that way sometimes. So it can be really difficult. And, you know, I find that a lot. I find that some people, when they have that, uh, that pain or that trauma, they just need to discuss it, right? They need someone to uh, talk that out with. They need somebody who is in that field to talk that out with them and, you know, ask that person honest questions. And uh, sometimes that's what I do. And I find people who don't have that kind of trauma and pain are actually much easier to talk to about it because usually some of those people, and I've, I've talked with Antifa members, I've talked with BLM supporters, uh, recently on on uh, on stereo, I was talking with an individual who's drafting a police reform bill, and I, I typically find that a lot of people are just misinformed, and it's not it's not that they're uneducated individuals; they're they're just looking for things in some of the wrong places or running with you know particular narratives that aren't always backed by what they think it is. And so I I find that it it can actually be really easy to talk to to talk to that sample of people mm-hmm. because. If, when you provide people with different sources of information that they can put their hands on and look at, and it's tangible, they're much more likely to want to have that conversation and then listen and possibly learn something. Yeah. Cool, man. That's, I mean, that's what, that's what we stand for, right? That's our, that's our whole thing. So we, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're able to do it, you know, and that you're able to find the people that, that are willing to have those conversations. Even just to embrace that, that, that mentality. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 100%. So what do you do for fun outside of policing? Like, obviously, you, you have a stressful job. What do you what do you do outside of work? Man, you know, so I've been doing a lot more podcasting, which really helps my mental health a lot. I, man, I hang out with my kiddo. I lift weights. I play Xbox. I 
binge Netflix shows constantly. Mm-hmm. Now that it's summertime, float trips, whitewater rafting is in my future. So nice. things to get out the house with. Nice. I found, you know, that one of the problems with this whole policing issue that that divides people is you find that people have a hard time humanizing either side of it, right? Whether it's a mm-hmm. police officer or a criminal, you see the issue on both sides, right? And and so I don't know. One of our listeners had had brought up the prison system. And I thought we would kind of pivot there and kind of get your take on and our prison system and maybe talk for a little while about that and potential ways that it could change. Like, okay, for example, have you seen the documentary 13 on Netflix? Yeah, mm-hmm, familiar. That is amazing that you have. That makes this a whole different conversation. <laughs> What's your opinion on that? If you could explain a little bit of what 13 is or 13. Man, uh, I really don't. <laughs> I don't really remember it enough to, ex- to explain it. I kind of watched it and I watched a bunch of other stuff. Well, okay. um, I'll I'll do a small little thing. Well, it's a documentary on Netflix, and it's about the current um, prison system uh, and our, our system that many could make a comparison that it is a form of uh, slave labor, and that it is a second form of encampment, and then it's just another version of what. And this is the just the the angle that they're trying to make it is, is that it's just another form of uh, slave labor. They get paid pennies, and they have their uh, rights stripped. It's a whole thing like that. And I, I wouldn't necessarily expect a cop to take time to look at something like that. And my father was a correction officer. I should ask him to watch it, but you have. So, what's your perspective on that? You know, my my perspective on the on the entire prison system that it's it's shattered and broken, you know, it. So I think people's first issue with prison is they're not comfortable with, you know, the, the Westphalian system. They're they're not they're not comfortable with uh, organizations or the government having a monopoly on violence and then yeah. them not having any say in what happens to them when they're put into the system. Because when people enter the system, you're ultimately at the at the will and mercy of, you know, this black and white ink and a guy in a robe. And, you know, of course, your peers and there's nothing else you can do about this. You know, once you stand trial, once you're sitting in this room and then once you are sentenced, there's absolutely nothing you can do to change the sentencing. In some cases there are, but over 90 percent of times you, you can't. And I think people are rather uncomfortable with that. But. You know, my my discomfort comes from how we choose to rehabilitate people. So, you know, for me, if we're going to imprison people and we're going to spend this massive amounts of money to keep them in these cages, we can at least attempt to make them better people, which is, yes, expensive, but could be for the better of society worth it. So some of the things I've always said was, you know, why is it that, for instance, juveniles uh, a lot of juveniles go to juvenile detention and sometimes they spend their entire, you know, uh, their entire adolescence there, you know, and sometimes they're not getting education, right? They're not getting the experience of uh, learning how to work a job or make a resume or get a degree or anything, you right. know, and, and the same thing goes with adults. Some adults go to prison and all they've ever done is crime, right? They, they've only, they grew up in a place where selling drugs and stealing is what you do to get by. And they've never known anything else. And, you know, people might think, well, if you throw them in a cage, they'll never do it again. But that's like saying, well, it, you know, if you beat a schizophrenic child for seeing things, you won't see things anymore. No, you're, you're not diagnosing the issue. 
you're just applying band-aids, but you're, you're not willing to fix it. So, you know, for me, when I look at the prison system, I always ask myself, why aren't we heavily investing in educating these people? Why aren't we heavily investing in, in making sure they have jobs when they leave this, the, the prison system? Why aren't we investing in making sure they have housing that isn't in the same place they literally just came from or they were committing right. crimes they couldn't escape from? <laughs> Uh, why aren't we making sure that they're not being followed up on? Why is it that people fall through the cracks? And ultimately it's because I've come to the conclusion that people, you know, we don't, people don't see these people as people. They see them as, you know, the, the deplorables they we can disregard them from society. And that's the problem with the prison system. We lock people away and we forget about them and we never want to talk to them ever again because they're deplorables, but that's not how this works, right? They, they are people, they get out, they, they're still alive and they have to live their lives. So that. You know, and what you were saying earlier about people working for pennies to the dollar is, you know, I wouldn't, you know, some people would argue it's not slavery, but for me, I'd argue it is a form of slavery. Right. I mean, you can't leave, right? I can't just walk yeah. out. I can't yeah. say no. If I say no, you put me in solitary. Like, so you're forcing me to work. I actually went to a, a business uh, inclusion week where it was like a crash course in business and you go in, like I've met Jeff Bezos. I don't even know who he was. I was some, some random short guy and I didn't take his email. <laughs> no, for real. It was just some guy in a circle and everybody like cameras. there. I'm like, I don't know who the hell this guy is. And then next, the next year I'm like, Oh, this is okay. Him. Okay. But we, uh, a friend of mine, uh, we're in a group and the group is predominantly, uh, like, I mean, these guys had money out the wazoo. We were not in the group, so, so to speak. So we go in there, we said, think of an idea that's very lucrative, both financially in society to oneself and then a business. And we proposed like an entire, almost like a cycle or a system to allow for a lot of these ex-convicts based off of like, you know, their, whatever test they would take, you would train them to do whatever task works in the real world. And then they get born. Like, it's kind of like their own monopoly game, but it pay, it gets, you get paid back, like in form of late, like of like construction worker or, or shafts and stuff like that. And they were like, no, that doesn't fit with the image of what we're trying to portray. And that was a long story to get to that part, but I had to, take you there it's like it's just that it wasn't it's not pretty you know it's not it's not clickable it's not fundable people's like oh so then this person here can have a better life what about me that doesn't benefit me you have to raise my taxes so it can look like seattle which have the housings uh out there specifically for homeless people you know so i don't know I'm curious how both of you feel. How do you think your your stances on the prison system or or the value of rehabilitation and all of these other things would change if the laws that were enforced were lessened, right? Like if we got rid of, we had talked about this on, I think in one of our live conversations when we were talking about which laws should or should not exist. And, you know, I had brought up victimless crimes and we were talking about traffic stops for a little while. But like, you know, hypothetically, you know, drugs get decriminalized and nonviolent drug offenders are released or, you know, other victimless crimes are, are decriminalized or legalized or what have you. And we refocus the efforts of the of the justice system, you know, directly towards other crimes, other things that are, quote unquote, higher priority, I guess, because I feel like that with me. I agree that in our current system, we should be focusing more on rehabilitation, but I think that's because we're prosecuting the wrong things. 
at least in some maybe not in all the cases right but at least in some cases i don't know i wanted to get your guys thoughts on it yeah well you know i think when it comes when it comes to that i don't think we're i think people are trying to address a problem when it's already a problem instead of addressing it at the root so you know i agree i think there's too many laws that don't need to be laws you know like for instance i i don't understand why drugs are illegal I do. And I mean, all drugs, I'll make that perfectly clear. I don't know why all, I don't know why drugs are illegal. You know, if you want to take drugs, if you want to be strung out, if you want to do a bump before work, if you want to do whatever you want to do, like you're do whatever you want to do. You know, I, we can construct laws around doing it maybe in public if you want, but I think people should be able to carry and do drugs. You just can't give them to minors and you you know, we can make rules about doing them in the public square if we really have to. You know, for me, the root the root starts with children and it starts in the household. You know, yes, I think we need to dismantle a lot of laws that we have, but we also need to realize that we're failing to fix the root of the issue, which is education mm-hmm. and it's poverty. If you look at crime statistics, if you look at interactions with police, people will find that by and large, the people who don't have violent encounters with police and neighborhoods or groups of people who aren't doing violent crime, not that they're not doing it, but they're not doing it nearly as much, are people in the middle class. Regardless of race, people who are middle class just aren't committing robbery at at nearly as much of a rate. They're not committing murder. They're not selling drugs at much of a rate. They're they're not doing anything as far as crime nearly as a rate as you would find maybe impoverished communities. And that's either I, that's, you know, most likely and usually is contributed directly to product of environment. People have to survive. They're willing to do whatever it takes to eat and feed their children. Now, we can choose to punish people and send people to prison for life sentences and, you know, m- make rules like gun restrictions. And, you know, we can attempt to make harsher penalties for drugs and possession of drugs and make more laws. Or we can choose to address the root. Right. And this is why even I get into this argument all the time, but it's, it, it is a libertarian thing. I, I argue with my libertarian friends all the time. You know, UBI, I'm a fan of, you know, you can put responsibility and money in people's hands and see if they can uplift themselves from, you know, poverty, you know, mm-hmm. open up the market, make it easier to open up businesses, make it easier to negotiate with people about their wages. People will probably hire more people. There are more businesses to hire more people education the the misappropriations of funds in this country when it comes to education is staggering uh, the most well-funded institution in the country and you have the greatest failure rate and some states aren't even they're not even ranking on the world stage as far as education goes and it's not it's not the american post uh you know it's not the american secondary education like our, our colleges are actually incredibly strong it's early childhood developmental education that is extremely that has suffered extremely in this country uh, from elementary school to high school. Dropout rates have increased the amount of people who can actually read, write and do mathematics at at their grade level is 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 dropping. You have more Americans every year who are illiterate and it, it's happening by thousands. And until we address the fact that education is a direct root cause to poverty, which is a direct root cause to crime. I don't think we can ever fix the prison system or the court system or the societal issue we have right now with policing. I mean, and do you think, well, at least do you see, I'm getting the idea that you see this for the next foreseeable future. What do you, what would you say will be your best call to action for those who can do something? Because we can't ask a teacher to do more because they're not paid enough. 
we can't ask, you know what I mean? We can't ask the guidance council to do more because that's out of their jurisdiction. You can't ask the, I guess, the social worker to do too much because they're already doing too much. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you know, I I think it all really starts with having a breakdown in conversation. We, some of the greatest things are had by just... <sighs> So there's no reason why the social worker and the teacher can't talk to the lawman who can't talk, who all three can't talk to the, the congressman. However, we have a severe hurdle in conversation in this country right now, and it's race. Um, race is the biggest hurdle of conversation. Um, certain groups of people feel they can't speak on certain issues because they're not their correct skin color. And certain groups of people feel that other groups of people don't understand anything because they're not the right skin color. And it's really creating a barrier that's making it very hard for people to achieve anything in conversation, which means that, you know, our our entire political system and our entire system period is built on the fact that people converse with people, which leads to change. And if one of those things doesn't work, then the other one just doesn't happen. Yeah, I I 100% agree. Absolutely. And again, that's that gets back to part of the reason why we started this podcast, right, is to encourage these kinds of conversations to get people talking I think I think part of it also comes from the family and the home. Obviously, you know, you can mm-hmm. you have to have a bedrock of of good values, right, in order to then have a a society develop, right? You have to start somewhere. And I think a lot of people, you know, it's a, different people have different ideas of what the I guess smallest unit is in a successful society, right? And some people will say it's the individual, um, you know, libertarians will say it's the individual. A lot of times other people will say it's, well, it's, it's the society as a whole, right? That's more of, I guess the, I, I don't know if I want to say it's not all liberals believe it, but it's more of like the leftist ideology of, you know, we are a society, we are a community as a whole, as a country, what have you, um, or maybe, you know, states or what, whatever, but yeah, I think it boils down to the family. I think that it's somewhere in the middle, right? That the individual is still, I still believe in individual rights. I still believe in individual liberties and responsibilities and all of that. But, you know, when it comes to society and societal functioning, education is a big part of it. But, you know, education in the home as well, because that, I don't know, it gives you that that bedrock, right, to start from. It's your bedrock to start from something. But then my head is like, it can't be like... Well, I don't know. I I was going to say that was a rabbit hole I didn't want to go into. I was going to say, because if the nucleus of the family can be the upstart to whichever type of societal gains you would want, you can't have legislation that would target a demographic's father. Mm. That would, you know what I mean? During the crack epidemic, but have laws that would counterbalance for cocaine. You know what I mean? The, The sentences were night and day. Uh, in comparison, because cocaine was in certain neighborhoods and then crack couldn't have been in certain neighborhoods. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that gets back to the laws, right, that we were talking about, too, that if if drugs weren't even illegal. So they all cycle all back. It's amazing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Drugs are winning the war on drugs, for sure. But yeah, no, I think you you brought up some really good, um, really profound points about education. I mean, it always boils down to education, honestly. And on that note, I guess since we're since we're already here, what are your thoughts on um, critical race theory? Since that's being you know kind of advocated for now more on the on the educational front here. 
well, I'm pop. This will be might be an unpopular opinion to anybody who's listening, but uh, I don't agree. Uh, I I don't think it does any good to tell. It doesn't. Okay, so the way I think about it is this: We once fought in this country to teach children that they're not inferior because of the color of their skin. Right. Now we're teaching children that they're oppressive because of the color of their skin, which is equally as damaging. It doesn't do any good to tell a young black boy that he's lesser than or he is looked at lesser than because he's black. That doesn't do anything for his self-confidence or his self-worth. The, the same way it doesn't do anything for a, a white child. And I, I do believe that children can see these things. They're, I call them little people. They're not just children. They, they are very observant. They're smarter than we give them credit for. They can see hate. They can see disdain. They can see disgust. They can they notice these negative emotions and they they can't articulate them, of course, but they can feel them and it, it can have negative consequences. So I, I don't think it does any good to balkanize society, children, the workplace, politics by the, the color of people's skin. And I, I don't think it's very healthy to argue for solutions, but say, well, it's always because I'm black or it's always because I'm poor. Like, you know, no, like sometimes you're just lacking accountability for something that either you've done that led you to a negative situation or some, or somebody else wasn't held accountable for doing something negative to you. You know, so for example, the surprise, surprise, people who don't know me, I'm black. Uh, I've experienced racism. But I don't think that all of America is racist. I just think there's racist people. That that's all. Like I've I've encountered racist people, and it sucks. And I wish that they weren't that way. And I don't associate with those people. And when I, you know, when they were exhibiting racism, I told them that they were, and they didn't care. So I left their presence. But I don't then walk around thinking that you know everybody's racist. You know, my sergeant yelled at me. Oh, he's got to be a racist. No, I just happened to have messed up that day. So I think. I don't agree with it. I don't think it's very helpful at all. Yeah, no, I, so, well, so I'll preface this by saying I, I agree with you. So I don't want to like, why are you saying it with you? As if I, <laughs> as if what? I oppose that, as if I say, you know what? Oh, no, I didn't mean that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just meant that I, I know you started this with, I know this may be an unpopular opinion. I don't think that it is. I don't think it's as unpopular as, social media would have us believe. I think that obviously this is a really touchy topic right now. It's everywhere. And, you know, I mean, the, the, the U S government is kind of putting its back behind it right now, like you're putting its weight behind it right now. And so it's, it's gaining a little more traction. I do think that there's more people though, that, that oppose it similarly. And, and so I don't think that it's quite as unpopular as you may think. I mean, you, you know, Tim Scott gave his his response to Biden's speech and it sounded a lot like what that. you were talking about. Yeah. And I, you know, I think <laughs> I thought it was great. And he, you know, then Uncle Tim was trending immediately after on, on Twitter. Right. And so I do think there's obviously a lot of opposition to opposition to critical race theory. But but yeah, I don't think it's quite as unpopular. Sorry, Brandon, I didn't mean to make it sound like. I was, I was, uh, whatever, man, this is your podcast now, man. (laughs) Well, what do you think, Brandon? What do you, what do you, uh, think of critical race theory? Well, I, it's the terminology that always shocks me. It almost inspires me to come up with new ways to describe things. It's always had 
another way of interpreting them. But I would have to agree on a sociological front that it is it, to tell one kid, to tell one a person that it's designed to not work, and then to tell another kid it's designed for you to work. Uh, Zach, I don't know. How, do you remember reading the book? Uh, it, was a, it was a psychologist who had two sons. One of his sons' names was Loser. Another one was Winner. And do you remember the, the life path that they went down? The loser one became like an esteemed lawyer and all this success and wealth. And the, 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 the son that was named Winner was a, a drug addict and went to jail and he thought he, things were going to get handed to him. I wonder if it either can have the detrimental role or the beneficial role. Because a lot of people who have had their successes by them being told from people, from citizens in America who say, uh, as a black person, I, I've even been told that it says, you know, as a black person, you have to work twice as hard. No one ever said this world's against you because I guess you're just not supposed to inherently say that to a kid. But I've heard everyone say it at least one time you have to work twice as hard to get where a white person is. And I'm sure, uh, I'm sure you've heard this uh, as well. But who's to say if it's good or bad? Does it look bad? In one part of the book, yeah. Is it is it could also be like a fuel of fire? It is as well, because the same fuel of fire for immigrants who come to this country and they say, you know, you're not a citizen. You have to work hard to get yours. The, those who are born here have the golden ticket. You have to work for theirs, and then they have that hustle. We're ignoring the legislation that gives them tax breaks and loans. Aside from that, we're saying that well, I'm not sure which side, if it's negative or positive. Well, I think it depends on how you frame it, right? Like the way you framed it just now and I, the way that I'm sure your parents framed it and 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 others frame it is that you may have to work harder, but you're going to kick ass and do it and and work harder as opposed to. And, and so that then says you have the ability to do this, right? It may be hard, but you have the ability to do this. I feel like the opposite and, you know, you hear the term tossed around soft bigotry of low expectations, right? That's the opposite is when things like these equity measures or affirmative action or what have you put set a, a lower bar for one group than another. In that case, I think it's framing it less like you may have to work hard, but you can do it. You, you know, you're, you're strong and capable and more so framing it as, it's impossible for you to do this without the help. But yeah, I don't know. I think it depends on the way you frame it. Yeah, I don't know, Delvon, if you Yeah, and, and you know, I, and I know we've all heard this tossed around recently as well, but, you know, for me, it's almost becoming, there, it's just the hard bigotry of no expectations at all. Yeah. Um, you know, and I observed that a lot more when I read, I don't know if you guys heard, but I read about... Uh, <laughs> the Biden administration actively campaigning um, and ruling most and attempting to ban menthol cigarettes. Right. And flavored cigarellos. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, the, and the first thing the article said was this would affect uh, three, three fourths of cigarello and um, menthol cigarette smokers are African-American. And, you know, it, it went on to say, you know, by, um, Karen Bass, the California, the California Congresswoman Democrat or chairwoman Democrat, you know, she wrote, uh, as we continue to push to protect black lives, 
we must put an end to one of the most constant destroyers of black health and lives, which is deadly menthol cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, it's, I, you know, people see that some people I know saw that and said, well, that's good. You know, they care about black people. And I read that and I said, so they think we're too stupid not to smoke. Or like, is that what they're saying? Or we're prepared to go to jail. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, no, like, no, because we were just talking about this the other, uh, what was it, uh, a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. strictly saying, are there laws targeting people off that front? And then we were, we had a discussion about that. Then we spoke about this particular one and said, is there is there a bit of foul play here? And even in bringing it on your perspective, I didn't even thinking about that. I didn't even think about uh, the fact that it's almost an incompetence thing. Like they yeah. can't stop. Or if he, I don't even think, I, don't, I rarely think of bills and laws being directly associated with health and wellness. I think maybe that might be a trajectory that America needs to push. Um, but I didn't even imagine, I didn't even realize that maybe they did it for the health of black people. Yeah. That doesn't even well, sound right to me. Well, this is something you will never hear me say very often, but I said it uh, in the, not, not on my podcast, but in a personal conversation. But, you know, I told a friend, this is one of the very few laws in my lifetime that I've observed that I would call systemically racist. Because basically you're admitting that you understand who this affects. You're <laughs> willing to make this illegal, which means you're willing to utilize the police to obviously stop this, right? Because if people are observed smoking menthol cigarettes and it's illegal to have menthol cigarettes. So there's either two things that the government's doing. And you know, people don't want to admit this, but it, it, it to me, at least it has to be true. Either you're saying that um, you're going to target these people on purpose and you don't care, or you're saying that these people are incompetent. Black people are too incompetent to understand basic health and the government has to protect them from themselves. So now we're on an issue of are black people not afforded the same rights as everyone else? And very good point, you know. And if it's banned for all people, why do I not have the right to smoke whatever I want? It, it's not marijuana. It's just nicotine. You know, why, why, did, why does this matter now? Who cares if it's flavored? Right. There's not a single law, law that has anything to do with heroin. And that is the, that is, if you thought Jesus was amazing, I've seen Bucky down the street come back to life every weekend, okay? Every Sunday is Palm Sunday. All right. Smoking on it. No. no. <laughs> the joke is there, but he made a very valid point. Either black people can't be protected of their own health, and like you said, every law ends at the hand of a gun. Yes. Either I'm dumb enough to die. Either, okay, either I'm going to die from smoking or I'm going to die from the government. Either way, it's now illegal just for this group. Well, and I, I was going to take it even one step further that if if it is the assumption, if the assumption is that they are trying to do this from a somewhat benevolent place, right? That they're doing this to help black people. Mm -hmm. Like you just said, Brandon, they're still choosing to help quote unquote through law as opposed to look, Jen Psaki, Biden can get out there and say, look, we recognize this problem. We see this problem. We're going to launch an education campaign targeting communities using these things and and address this issue. I still think that would be a little messed up, but at least then the motive would be more clear and it would be more of a. Zach, let me let me let me let me give you a scenario. Right. Let's let's take smoking. Right. Mm hmm. Black people in America smoke menthols 
there's now a law saying it's illegal. You can go to jail. You can be, I guess, jurisdictionally prosecuted. Judiciously. Okay. Judiciously (laughs) prosecuted. There we go. I don't know. I was trying to say jurisdiction, but yeah, judicially uh, prosecuted. Now, for white people who have addictions to nicotine, you get commercials with orange screens and dots on it, and that tells you that now it's not cool as much. Uh, MTV smoking's not cool. It becomes a movement rather than a law. I'm sure yeah, you've exactly. seen it. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've seen it on, even on Cartoon Network. Like smoking's not cool. I'm like, I'm watching Gumball. What are you talking about? No. Yeah. But I mean, that said, you know, there was also the flavor ban earlier, which admittedly yeah. left out menthol for some reason. I mean, granted, it's not a flavor, right? It's different. But like, that's kind of what they're trying to lump it in with now with the with the cigars and flavored cigarillos and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I also feel bad for the the broke college kid who no longer has something to roll his blunt. <laughs> <laughs> But not to make light of not to make light of what you were saying, Brandon. But no, you you have an excellent point. It's an excellent point that you know it's the manner in which they're trying to help doesn't seem very helpful. No, not <laughs> even no, no. even if it's exact. This is the issue. I don't care if it's not helpful. I just want it to be even. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I want, I want a law for those who are struggling with heroin. Mm-hmm. One law. Right. It's a, with 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 crack. It was what was it? Uh, and I think your wisdom can help me. Is it uh, the for crack? It was a crack epidemic? No, it wasn't a crack epidemic. It was no. Was it was? It, I'm, I think it's the heroin crisis and then the crack epidemic. Mm. Those two, the wordings of themselves already show because it's the same thing. It's just two, it's a different drug in a different community. How how are the you know? There's not Reaganomics. There's not people flooding in heroin into these communities who, who would never get these who would never get these drugs on their own mm-hmm. i don't know yeah no the i mean the the whole war on drugs like and this is where you know and we've come kind of full circle back to these these laws existing and the whether or not drugs should even be criminalized and how we should best educate about it but you know, so clearly there's a solution there. There's something there. I don't think yeah, it's clearly not just banning menthol cigarettes. No. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want to attribute motive. Right. I don't want to just say that it was done with racist motives or it was done with this. But like, yeah, at the very least, yeah, I agree that it's it's incompetence. All right. Well, we've uh, we've been going for a little while. Um, I figured, Delvon, we we would turn it over to you. So the the last thing we try to do with people we bring on the show is give them mm-hmm. two opportunities. Um, one, just to give some plugs, um, let people know, tell them a little bit about your podcast, where they can find you. Um, but then also, if there wasn't anything, if there was anything that we didn't touch on or that you that we did that you wanted to kind of go more in depth in, um, or talk a little longer on, um, we, I wanted to turn it over to you just so you had one more opportunity to say what needs saying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess first I'll start with, uh, you know, if anybody was listening, obviously, you know, I'm Delvon, Views from the Arch. Uh, you can find me on Anchor. You can find me on uh, the Applecast. Uh, you can find me on Spotify. Please feel free to obviously go there. And same thing with these guys. Uh, drop a subscribe, give listens, uh, you know, the clicks matter. Uh, definitely uh, go to my link tree. 
uh, follow everything there. If you can, you can also find me on YouTube. Um, the YouTube does get different content uh, sometimes than the uh, anchor podcast, just cause it's much, uh, sometimes much easier to go live on YouTube, obviously. Also, if anybody is not aware, I'm also on stereo. If anybody's familiar with stereo, uh, my stereo name is real talk all day. Feel free to uh, hit me up on stereo. Uh, my Instagram, which has been growing both my personal account and my views from your arch account, which I've just made recently. Please feel free to type in views from your arch on Instagram. Follow me there. I post many articles and obviously podcast information. I guess the only thing that I, you know, the, the last thing I just want to kind of expand on is, you know, once again, I, I know that um, we're, we're in a day and age right now where everybody has an opinion. Everybody's very passionate about what they have going on or about, you know, what um, they're observing in their local environment. You know, the one thing I say is really try to break down whatever biases or whatever opinions you have and really try listening to the other side. You know, even with people that I disagree with to the nail, I will try to be quiet and just really hear that person and understand, you know, why they feel how they feel or think what they think. It's not helpful to shut each other down. It's not helpful to build walls or try to drive wedges. Uh, so, you know, I guess in short, just really try to sit and listen to one another when you're having uh, these conversations, whether it's about police or racism or, you know, what you think taxes should be, whatever it is, just, you know, what are you having for dinner next Sunday? Just really try to listen to one another and, you know, that will bleed from your personal relationships into your professional lives. And hopefully beyond that, where people actually start to listen to each other and we all start working together again to fix things that are wrong. Because remember, we all do share this big landmass we call America and we can't just live separated forever. It's not going to work that way. He just said what needed saying. Hey, you can't get any better than that. That was the best. We should have that as a closer for every episode. This is about children. No. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, Delvon. It was it was a fantastic conversation. We touched on a, a ton of different important topics: education, policing, prison, everything we've talked about. As always, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it having you on and getting your perspective. Um, we'll definitely have to do this more often and and get uh, get you on more to to hear from you for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm back into the podcasting game, so just let me know. Definitely. All right, man. Well, we're going to take off then. If you like this episode, definitely check out Views from the Arch. Great podcast, great host. And if you liked us, check us out. Our Facebook and Instagram are Say What Needs Saying. Our Twitter is Say What Needs. And then we are also on YouTube and Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And anywhere you listen to podcasts, be sure to leave us a five-star review if you can definitely helps out and leave a comment on YouTube or anything to help the algorithm. We have a website in development. It's really close and it's pretty much done. So I'm going to keep saying this at the end of our episodes in case it's done by the time these get posted. Check out saywhatneedsaying.com. We are going to migrate there and have all of our episodes, all of our videos, all of the audio, anything plus show notes for each episode that ahead at least the ones going forward <laughs> we will have show notes for all of our episodes and so you could hear get a little bit more detail about 
everything. So check us out there and on socials. And yeah, Brandon, any last thoughts before we close? I, you guys took them. I don't, there's nothing else. I was waiting for a break. I was waiting for the views from the arch to stop being the views from the arch. I, he's, he's arch Drake. Cause he took all the words. I have no more lyrics. The show is over. Goodbye. All right, guys. Till next time. All right. Bye. Later. Bye. <laughs>